Hello, everybody. This is Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor at breastcancer.org. Welcome to our latest podcast. Our guest today is our medical expert here at breastcancer.org, Dr. Brian Wojciechowski. We are very excited to have him here, and we're going to do a roundup of some of the most interesting research studies that came out in February 2014. Hello, Brian. How are you today? I'm fine, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing well. And I guess we'll just jump right into it because we had another mammogram study, this one done in Canada. And as we've seen lately, there was a lot of controversy around this study. And I guess I'll just summarize what the study said or what it, it purported to say was that having mammograms didn't reduce the number of women who died from breast cancer. Um, now, if you could just explain a little bit about why some experts were questioning this study and how it seemed that the researchers arrived at those results. Well, this is a very interesting study and one that I think is an important uh, piece of scientific data, uh, albeit quite flawed for a number of reasons that I'm going to get into, but this is a study that was prospective. So uh, that is the strongest type of data that we have because uh, the scientists are not looking back at events that have already happened in the past, but they're actually starting uh, before any events occur. And uh, that is a very strong piece of data. Um, this was also a large study and a study that was done over many years of follow-up, 25 years. So uh, at least at least conceptually, this should be a very high-quality study. Now, the issue with the study is that, so it's looking at, uh, it's looking at mammograms and comparing uh, basically women who did get them and did not get them. Uh, the problem is, is that the mammograms were done between 1980 and 1985. That's a, uh, while, with, a while ago. Yeah, a long time ago uh, with uh, what is considered uh, to be substandard uh, techniques and machines. It, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to imagine that uh, a study done in Canada from 1980 to 1985 would be applicable to our practice today. Yeah, I mean, we're talking... Uh a quarter century, 25 years. I mean, in terms of technology, that's quite a long time, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, that's before digital mammography, okay. you know, the physicians reading the mammograms did not have the same level of training that, uh, that our doctors do today. So it's not surprising to me that you didn't see a difference in death rates in this study. Uh, we know that, uh, fr from conversations we've had about this topic before, that uh, the absolute number of women's lives that are actually saved with mammograms is uh, relatively modest. For you know, for women over age sixty, it's about you know what you have to screen about a couple hundred women to save one life, and uh, it gets a little. It, it, the number gets even bigger as women get younger. But what this study and most of the other studies do not take into consideration is not that it's, 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 it's not just about lives saved, but it's about the women who would be spared uh, more invasive treatments like 
for example, mastectomy and radiation, mm -hmm. and the women who would be uh, spared going through chemotherapy because uh, their cancers were detected earlier. Uh, and, you know, and, and those women may not have their life saved, but that's because our treatment is so good that you can't really even see a difference. So uh, I think this study is flawed for, you know, for the reason that it's ancient. It was, you know, the, the mammograms were performed in 1985, which is ancient history. And also for the fact that, uh, you know, it, it, under, it underestimates the true value of mammograms by only look at live, looking at live save and not the other outcomes that I talked about. Okay, that sounds good. And I know um, the other the other thing we always say and what breastcancer.org always stresses is that we know mammograms aren't perfect, but they are the best thing we have. And if you're a woman 40 or over, then mammograms should be part of your medical care. And this study doesn't change that at all. Okay. 100%. Excellent. Uh, the next study which was pretty interesting. It was about ductal lavage, which is also known as nipple aspirate testing. And uh, before we go into it, if you could just sort of explain a little bit what that is, Brian, I'm not sure everybody knows it's not um, routinely done anywhere that I know of. Yeah, so in ductal lavage, the surgeon will actually insert a very tiny tube into the small opening at the nipple uh, the milk duck, and they'll inject some fluid into there and then uh, and then basically uh, suck that fluid out with a syringe in attempt to uh, rinse out any cancer cells that could be uh, sitting in there. And this has been uh, described as a way to help detect uh, breast cancer. Okay. And in the middle of February, the FDI was very concerned that some women were using ductal lavage test as an alternative to mammograms. And so the FDA put out a warning saying you should not do that because it's not a substitute for a mammogram. Um, and my understanding is that while ductal lavage can show if there are abnormal cells there, it really doesn't tell us where the abnormal cells came from. So it it's not really giving you a complete picture. And it if there is uh, cancer in a breast, ductal lavage may not necessarily show that. Is that correct? That's correct. It's a test that has what we would call a low sensitivity. Uh, so in other words, it's very possible that if a woman had a breast cancer, this test may fail to pick it up. Okay. Uh, it's a somewhat unsophisticated uh, way of screening uh, for breast cancer. And you know, the, the, the worst thing would be if a woman uh, was trying to use this as a substitute for mammograms. Okay. Okay. The good. FDA doesn't do this every day. So this is something to take very seriously. Right. Right. That's yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The FDA doesn't issue warnings at the drop of a hat. So there must have been some very serious concern that some women were skipping mammograms and just having ductal lavage done. And again, I'll reiterate, we know mammograms aren't perfect, but they really are the best screening tool we have to, de to detect breast cancer. So if again, if you're 40 or older, then a mammogram, a yearly mammogram is recommended for you. And there are ways to make mammograms less painful. There are also ways to get help paying for a mammogram if you don't have insurance. So definitely go to the breastcancer.org website and you can find more information about both of those topics. 
Um, so moving on to treatment, there was another study that came out that strongly suggests that women should start chemotherapy if it's prescribed within 30 days of surgery because the study was compared groups of women. Um, one group waited to start chemotherapy until 60 days, 60 or more days after surgery, and they compared the results to women who started chemotherapy within 30 days of surgery, and the women who started the chemotherapy earlier had much better survival. And I guess on the surface, that makes sense, but is there is there more to this, this study, Brian, than I'm seeing? Uh, there could be. <clears throat> First of all, this was a retrospective study. Okay. So the investigators... Uh, looked back into the past, they were looking at 1997 to 2011, and they looked at all the patients in their one institution, that's a single institution study, uh, which is also somewhat limiting. Okay. Uh, um, but they looked at uh, all the patients from 97 to 2011 who received chemotherapy, and they went back and said, all right, Let's make three groups. Let's take one group who got their chemo within 30 days, one group that got their chemo between 31 and 60, and one group that got their chemo after 61 days. And they found that women who got it later, that is after 61 days, had worse outcomes. Um, this makes sense because you know the purpose of chemotherapy is to eliminate any microscopic disease that might still be left behind that the surgeon can't see after uh, she does the surgery. And the more time elapses between the surgery and chemotherapy, the more time those tiny little cancer cells have to grow and spread. So logically, it makes sense that you want to get the chemotherapy in as soon as possible. And that's how we practice. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, it's rare that we're waiting more than 30 days to give chemotherapy. So, you know, this doesn't necessarily change practice because I think most physicians out there are are interested in, in having their patients treated as soon as possible. But the thing about it is, you know, in the rare instances in my own practice when a woman has to wait more than 30 days for chemotherapy, it's usually because of comorbidities. And, and what's a comorbidity? Mm -hmm. A comorbidity is, is some factor uh, – that makes uh, makes life difficult for a patient, such as medical problems, high blood pressure, diabetes. Uh, if the patient has a heart condition that needs to be addressed before her surgery, if the patient is uh, elderly, all, all these things uh, may be may actually be what's causing the women to delay chemotherapy, and it may be those same factors, the same factors that cause her uh, to to delay her chemo that caused her to have a, a worse outcome. Okay. Uh, so, you know, in my mind, especially with the retrospective study design looking into the past here, it's hard for me to say, well, is it because they got their chemotherapy late and their tumors were given more time to grow? Or is it just because that, you know, women with a lot of other medical problems are going to get their chemotherapy later and are going to have worse outcomes in terms of their breast cancer. So okay. it's kind of like, you know, what came, is, is the, uh, you know, is, is, is it the chicken or the egg here? Sure. One, one thing I did notice in this study, um, it seemed especially pertinent for women who would, I guess, 
be diagnosed with more aggressive cancers, um, cancers that were stage three as opposed to stage one or stage two, or cancers that were HER2 positive, um, the starting the chemo earlier seemed to make a big difference. And as you said, there could have been these other health factors that were influencing that as well, which would all take into account, you know, if they have other health factors and the cancer was more aggressive, it would make sense that you would kind of need to start that earlier as well. Um, right. And the more aggressive triple negatives and her two positive tumors would grow faster as well. So okay. uh, it, it does, it does make sense again, intuitively that, uh, you want to get the chemo started as soon as possible, especially in a woman with, uh, you know, a, a subtype that we know is more aggressive and more dangerous. Okay. And one thing I would add too, especially if there are people out there who are concerned about how they're going to pay for chemotherapy, um, if you've been prescribed perhaps a, a newer medicine like Herceptin, like Tycurb, like Cadsila that is more expensive than some of the older medicines, um, there are ways to help. There are ways that you can get help paying for your medicine. Most of the pharmaceutical companies have uh, care advocates, and they can help you get some money to pay for your medicine. So please, again, go to the breastcancer.org website. Under the treatment section, there's uh, paying for your care, and there's a lot of information there. So if you're considering delaying treatment because of your concern about cost, um, it's not a good idea, and there are resources that can help you. Um, Now on to what I think are two more, um, I guess, Happier studies, if any study can be happy, but these are good. Um, they, they were finding that um, different sorts of complementary and alternative medicine treatments or therapies can help ease some of the side effects uh, that come with breast cancer treatment. And the first one I wanted to talk about is a study. Now, now granted, these are both small studies, but they're very promising. Um, this study showed that yoga can ease the fatigue and inflammation that accompanies breast cancer treatment after women have been diagnosed. Diagnosed. And in this study, too, and this was uh, interesting as well, the more yoga the women did, the better their fatigue was and the lower their inflammation was. Um, and Brian, do you have a lot of women in your practice that do yoga or do they talk to you about that? Would you ever recommend that? I would say that uh, it's a a minority of women in my practice who actually ask about these things. Okay. Um, But seeing studies like this really kindles my interest in the whole uh, complementary and and alternative uh, medicine field. Uh, You know, looking at this yoga study and uh, are we going to talk about the acupuncture study as well? Yep, that's the next one. I mean, look at these two studies, you really have to say to yourself, well, um, you know, this is, this is clearly doing something. Right. You know, it, it seems like, it seems like whether it's yoga or acupuncture or even an, an exercise program, you know, the, the women who are doing something, being proactive, uh, as opposed to the women who are doing nothing seem to be making out better, uh, especially for my patients on, uh, on hormone therapy, who may be having a lot of musculoskeletal side effects, I worry that because of that, they're not really taking their medicine, and therefore their their chance of cure is diminishing. Okay. Uh, so the more and more studies like this that I read, 
the more and more I'm thinking about about uh, incorporating this into my practice. I'll I'll be honest. Uh, some women I'll I'll talk to I'll talk to about yoga or acupuncture or or something like, that, and they'll say, "Well, I have I really have no interest in that." Thanks, doc. Uh, you know, some women are right up front, and they're asking me about it, and they're asking me about herbs and all sorts of different things like that. So it's really it really depends on on the person. I think it's more common in my younger patients, and um, it's definitely changing. So you know, people are becoming more aware of it, and it's it's really out there. Okay, and and I'll just uh, explain a little bit about this study. They split women up into two groups, and one group did yoga with an instructor. They, it was half a yoga, and the other group was put on a waiting list for yoga, so they basically didn't do anything differently. And the women in the yoga group took one class a week, or no, excuse me, I think it was two classes a week, and then they were encouraged to do some of the postures at home. So, it, it, well, again, it was a small study. It's very encouraging to show that this kind of sort of mindful thinking exercise can produce some helpful results. Um, and that's the type of yoga that Hatha is. It's a very um, meditative sort of um, low, uh, I don't want to say low energy, but it's not very aerobic. You hold the postures for a while and it's very, it's a gentle yoga. Um, and the other thing I would point out is that it's a great idea if you are thinking about yoga, definitely talk to the instructor ahead of time because some women may have some shoulder or arm mobility limitations or some issues. Talk to the instructor ahead of time. Let him or her know that you um, have been diagnosed with breast cancer. You're either undergoing treatment or have had treatment, and you can work together to modify any postures to make sure that they're safe for you. And uh, since Brian brought it up, we'll jump right into the acupuncture study. And this, again, was a small study, but it found that acupuncture can ease the side effects of aromatase inhibitors. And the thing I thought that was really fascinating about this is from what we've learned, especially at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium and in other studies that have come out, that side effects are the number one reason why women stop taking aromatase inhibitors. And some women are very, very affected by them. Their side effects are very severe. They've got joint pain. They've got hot flashes. Um, they're tired all the time. And acupuncture in these women, this was in uh, postmenopausal women who were taking an aromatase inhibitor. The study didn't say which aromatase inhibitor, but that the acupuncture helped ease the side effects of hot flashes, depression, and it improved their quality of life. So again, and according to this study, there were no side effects from the acupuncture. So there was really no downside. So That's the great thing about a lot of these treatments is that, you know, there, there, there's very little prospect for doing harm with things like yoga and exercise and acupuncture. And they really do seem to work uh, for many women. Uh, one thing I thought I found interesting about the acupuncture study was also that there was an arm with sham acupuncture, which seemed to do something as well. Right. I And from what my understanding was, the sham acupuncture, it still um, used... I don't want to say needles, but they were they were styluses that actually poked the women's bodies, but they didn't penetrate the skin. So it was almost like you were being kind of poked with um, like a very small knitting needle or something, and it didn't go through the skin. So just that touch was enough to stimulate a response. 
which, as you said, was very interesting that there's something going on there about that kind of touch that can help alleviate. Well, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced acupuncture, but mm -hmm. I actually have once. And it, I have to say it was very relaxing. It was very calming and centering. You just kind of focus and it takes your mind off of everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so, so either there's something, there's really something to it, the whole, you know, puncturing of the skin and the technique and the philosophy, or, you know, or, 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 or there really is some sort of placebo effect. It, it would have been interesting in this study if they had a third arm of patients who actually got nothing at all. Right. I, um, I thought about that too. Yeah. But yeah, and I actually have had acupuncture too, and I've had uh, good results. I would agree with everything that you said. It does. It's a very meditative um, procedure, and you kind of focus on what you want to focus on, and it's it is very relaxing. So, you know, again, the studies are small, and we're not saying that this is right for everybody. But it it these complementary and alternative alternative medicine techniques really don't have very many downsides. So if you are having severe side effects from aromatase inhibitors, as it seems like many women are, this may be something that you want to check out. And again, on the breastcancer.org website, we have an entire section on complementary and uh, alternative therapies, and you can learn more about them. And you can also learn how to find a qualified practitioner. That's probably the biggest uh, challenge I had when I was looking to start uh, receiving acupunctures. I wanted to make sure I went to somebody good, and so I had to do some mm -hmm. asking around. And we have tips on our site on how to find a qualified practitioner. Yes, and, and uh, I just wanted to say, uh, before anyone starts any of the complementary or alternative treatments or medications, uh, please talk to your physician about it first, just to make sure that there's you know, nothing interfering with your treatment. Excellent. Excellent advice. Always good advice. And that includes if you're going to, as you mentioned, some of your uh, patients were talking to you about herbs. If you're going to start taking anything different, vitamin supplements, doing some sort of exercise or alternative therapy. Always, always, always talk to your doctor. You just want to make sure that nothing's going to interfere or conflict with any of your current treatments. Um, and I think that's all the studies we have to talk about today, Brian, unless there's anything else you'd like to add. No, that's it for now. Great. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening. Again, I'm Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor at breastcancer.org. And our very, very intelligent guest today has been Dr. Brian Wojciechowski, breastcancer.org medical expert. And we thank him for all his insights. And we will be back next month to do another wrap-up. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will talk to you later.